0: The following sermon is part of a series going through the book of Philippians, and it was preached at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. For more sermons, please visit our sermon audio page. It is our hope and prayer that this content is edifying for you. Our scripture reading this evening is from Philippians chapter 3. We return to our series of sermons in the book of Philippians, and this evening we consider verses 12 through 14 12 13 and 14 of Philippians 3 let's read the chapter finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous but for you it is safe beware of dogs Beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted Loss for Christ, yea doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, According to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In the text that we have before us, God, through the Apostle Paul, shows us an example. And by his example, calls the church unto holy ambition. Similar to what we heard this morning, A Christian is not to live his life with an apathy, with a stagnancy, but rather with great aspiration, seeking progress in his holy living and in good works. Children, simply put, Paul is teaching here in God's Word that the regenerated child of God, the true believer, Will not live his life passively, saying that God will change me if he so wills while I am passive. Rather, the child of God will rely upon God, and as he relies upon God, he will try, he will strive, he will put forth effort to improve. Or in the words of our text, he will press toward the mark. The church in Philippi, to whom Paul was writing, seemed to be facing multiple false teachers, multiple false ideas, which encourage, all of which encourage, a lazy apathy rather than an ambitious diligence. First, there were those who seemed to be of an antinomian mindset. Verses 18 and 19 that we read shows that for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is, end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. That mindset says that we are saved by grace So let us live however we want. Let us not try too hard in the discipline of holy living. And let us simply eat, drink, fill our bellies, be merry. Because in the end, God will graciously forgive us anyways. But there were those, secondly, also called Judaizers. The ones that we have considered already in our series in the beginning of chapter 3. They were legalists. They were self-righteous. They taught that our confidence regarding our justification before God was by faith in Jesus Christ and by works. They taught especially the necessity of strict obedience to the ceremonial laws and circumcision. Paul refers to them as dogs and evil workers and of the concision, you remember. Remember. In verse 2, these Judaizers seem to be opposite to what we may call antinomian. However, the reality is that the Judaizer teaching also resulted in an apathy toward holy living. For as long, think about it, beloved, as long as you kept certain lists of rules, And as long as you kept certain ceremonial laws, especially of the outward kind, before the eyes of men, then you really didn't need to continue striving for an inward holiness before God. And those following these Judaizer mentalities, sure, would be circumcised, would be baptized, would come to church outwardly, frequently. They would have an external religion, but privately and within their hearts They relaxed, so to speak. And there was an apathy in their lives as well. Obedience to so many other rules became an excuse for an apathy. There was the antinomian tendency. There was the Judaizer teaching. And third, there was also a teaching called perfectionism. And that, it seems was what Paul is especially referring to in our text. He says in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Some in his day, it seems, thought that in this life they could attain perfection. Or they misinterpreted Paul to say that in this life we could gain this perfection, lowering the standard of perfection These men and women imagine that somehow they could go for long periods of time at least without sinning in this earth. Today there are Methodists, there are Pentecostals who teach that with the second baptism of the Holy Spirit there could be and can be such perfection. That's not only pride and false doctrine, but this teaching too brings an apathy Or think, beloved, if you have reached perfection, then there will be no need to strive for holiness. Against antinomian tendencies, against legalism and the Judaizer teaching, against perfectionists, and really against any idea in this world in the past or present tense, that gives our human natures any excuse for passivity and apathy in the pursuit of holy living, Paul writes, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Having been justified by faith alone without works, Paul says, I press Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May this be the word of God that empowers our hearts tonight also. Pressing toward the mark is the theme. First, the exertion. Second, the focus. And finally, the calling. The exertion, the focus, and the calling. The text we consider this evening brings to mind that familiar illustration in Scripture. An illustration that is familiar but must be kept familiar in our minds. It is the illustration of running a race. Paul pictures his life and the life of all of God's people as that of a racetrack. And from the starting block until the finish line, we're supposed to be running. Not backpedaling, not backsliding, not stopping, not stumbling and falling, or walking slowly, dawdling and strolling, but running a race. Look at the verb in the middle of verse 12. I follow after. That verb is literally running. I follow after. I push forward with effort. Verse 14, I press. That word that is in our theme, press. That's the same word in the original as follow after. And it means the same thing. I run. That word run emphasizes. It emphasizes the activity, the effort Of the child of God. There are other words for run in the New Testament. There's a Greek word for run, which emphasizes the track upon which we run. There's another Greek word for run, which emphasizes the agony, the the pain, the difficulty of running. And this word emphasizes the exertion of the runner. Think about the runner whose legs take those large strides. Think of the runner whose arms are, are pumping and even seemingly reaching forward ahead of him. Think of that chest of a runner as his heart is pounding, his chest is pushed forward as he runs, especially as he reaches closer to the finish line, pressing that's the translation of the King James Version. And it's a great translation. Pressing toward the mark. What a picture. So intense is this word for running the race. That the same word is used to refer to persecution. Whether it be the one doing the persecuting. Or the one that is being persecuted. This word is used to describe that activity of running after to catch up with the victim or running with desperation to flee the persecutor. This is a vigorous, a fervent, an urgent, almost a desperate exertion. And Paul says, I press toward the mark. I Personally, he says, I who once pressed in opposition to Christ to persecute the church, now I press toward him. And in our text, Paul is describing the exerted effort of the child of God in his pursuit of holiness. Yes, in his desire and his pursuit for holy living, That's clear from the verses before our text, which we considered a couple of Sundays ago in verses 10 and 11. We saw last time Paul's chief end. Having been justified by faith alone, Paul speaks of his goal, that I may know him, he says, and that I may know him we saw was not simply an intellectual knowledge, though we said it includes an intellectual knowledge, but that I may know him as a personal knowledge, closer to Christ he desires to be, an experiential knowledge even. He pursues it, an experiential knowledge, he says in verse 10 of the resurrection power within him. He seeks the quickening of the new man, And he also seeks the mortification of the old as he explains the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And as Paul pursues this personal and experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying pursues sanctification in his life, Paul speaks of the end of the race. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Children, that's the finish line. And Paul says, I press toward the mark. That's the mark. That's the end of the race. Paul says, when I get to the end and I attain unto the resurrection of the dead, then he would know Jesus. He would know Jesus closer, better than he had ever known before. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, he explains it this way, then shall I know even as I am known. What a beautiful expression. That's the end. That's the finish line. And on on this earth, while Paul is on this earth, Paul knows he can't reach that end on this earth. He has to die. And Jesus must return But, Paul says, I press toward that mark. I won't reach perfection here below, but I press onward unto that perfection. The picture is this, children, the starting blocks of the race. The starting blocks of the race Is our conversion for the first time. The starting blocks is when the Spirit works in our hearts, regeneration, and He he gives us faith faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And as we take off those starting blocks, we're far away from the end when we'll be perfectly sanctified. And Paul says, I press toward that end, as far away as it is. Even though I will not reach that end in this lifetime, I press forward. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and then notice this phrase perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. No, the child of God will never be perfect, but he's always seeking to perfect holiness in the fear of God. The Word of God this evening brings up the doctrine of progressive sanctification. Yes, there is something called definitive sanctification. That is at the starting blocks of the race, as we talked about. That is when the Holy Spirit first works in us a new man at the very core of our being and person. A new man which is perfect in Jesus Christ. And you and I are that new man. That was a one time work of regeneration. That's definitive sanctification. I'm already sanctified, we can say, in principle. But our text is not talking about definitive sanctification, though that is true of us who are regenerated. Our text is talking about a progressive sanctification. Every child of God has both. The new man, the perfect man inside of him. And also... A progression in this sanctification you ask why do we need this progression if we have a perfect new man already not to strengthen the new man for he is already perfect but because we have an old man an old man that is still depraved who makes our faith weak an old man that makes our character yet immature an over old man that makes our person and our overall holiness still very much lacking, which makes our knowledge of Jesus Christ yet so small and needs much increase. We have only a small beginning. Our willing, our thinking, our, our passions, our feelings are still so pervaded by our sinful depraved nature. And so when the Holy Spirit works in us for the first time, there is a beginning and then a lifelong process of growth in this holiness. The picture is of a race, not only, but now picture this. The text shows us that this track, this race is on an incline. That we get from the word high calling in verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward calling, literally. It's an upward calling. Not only because Jesus Christ is up in heaven calling us, but also because we are supposed to be progressing upward. And that is true to our experience as we run it is as though we are running upward. It's a hill. And runners don't often like hills. But think of a hill now. that is covered with snow sometimes and, and sand sometimes. Think of a long sand dune or a snowy hill. And progressive sanctification is hard in that sense. It doesn't always seem like we're making progress In fact, true to our experiences, sometimes it seems like we're making no progress at all because all the steps that we take upward seems like we're just running in place. And yet the child of God presses onward, exerting himself, disciplining himself to run constantly. I press onward. Paul says, and there is nothing, there is nothing in Reformed and Biblical theology that contradicts this truth. There's nothing in Reformed and Biblical theology that should make the child of God lax and stagnant. There's nothing in Scripture. And in the confessions, which are against this activity and the emphasis even on the activity of the child of God in running. The word of God emphasizes it. So does this text and this sermon. If there is any theology or any idea that says, we need not have such exertion and activity. And when you need not emphasize it when God's word does. Then there is a serious misunderstanding. Not as though, Paul says at the beginning of the text in verse 12. And that expression is to combat errors in his day. I talked about legalism, I talked about antinomianism, I talked about perfectionism already in the introduction. Well Paul is showing that the true doctrines of Scripture, especially the doctrine of justification by faith alone without works, especially that doctrine, does not cause the believer to be lax not as though I have already reached or arrived at perfection, but I follow after, I run, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said that the specific false teaching is perfectionism. We might think that that false teaching is something out there in the Methodist or the Pentecostal church, but every heresy, every false teaching is a temptation to our human hearts. Yes, there are perfectionists that think that they can reach some moral perfection, and they have that theology, and Paul says, you're deceived. It's not as though that is true. But a self-righteous person also thinks, though he may not say, that he has reached perfection because in his external obedience he certainly feels that way. And he is deceived. Not as though, Paul says, you have reached perfection. If you're an antinomian or have an antinomian tendency, you too think that you have reached a certain kind of perfection. Perhaps it be because I have reached a perfect doctrine, an understanding of that perfect, a perfect understanding of that doctrine, and now I don't really have to strive for holiness. If you're a member of a true church, even a true church that is faithful to Jesus Christ, we have a tendency to think that we have already reached perfection with our understanding of the truth, Since we are a member of that church, that is true. Not as though, Paul says, it's not as though I have already attained. Daily must fight against that perfectionism, which is really pride, that tempts us. Paul, the Apostle Paul, a seasoned veteran, we can call him, at the end of his life, says, I have not reached this perfection. And if he says that, I guarantee to you the truth that you and I have not either. Not in any way. The truth of the matter is summed up in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 44, question and answer 114. But even the holiest men while in this life have only... A small beginning. Paul doesn't overestimate his progress. He knows he has a very small beginning. And thus, he presses on. As he runs, as we are called to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, There is a focus. There is a concentration. Every runner knows that the activity of running is not merely a physical kind. It's not only of the legs and the arms, but it's of the mind. And if the runner stops paying attention to the road if he stops paying attention to what's ahead of him, and he's distracted by everything around him, and especially distracted by what, which, what is behind him, he will run the wrong way. He will put himself in danger. He will trip. He will fall. He will injure himself. And so Paul explains in verse 13 his focus. Brethren, I count myself to have appreh- not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That's the focus. Now notice the focus negatively especially. And first, Paul says as he runs, I do not focus on that which is behind me. I intentionally forget them. That's the word forget there. I intentionally forget them. And Paul is referring to his accomplishments, his successes, his good works. Paul says, as I run, I am not turning around to admire the ground that I've covered and the distance that I have traveled I don't look back to focus on all the success I have had. I don't look back to the great compliments I received from my past preaching and from my sermons and my letters. I don't replay in my mind all the good that I've done for others, all the persecution I've gone through for the sake of Jesus Christ, all the good works that I have recorded in my mind. No, Paul says, I refuse to do that. I fight that. I push aside that pride that will only distract me, that will only slacken my pace, it will only lead me back to justification by works. I forget it, he says, intentionally. To qualify, Paul's not talking about a holy amnesia so that somehow... He isn't aware of good works that the Holy Spirit has empowered him unto. No. Paul can remember them. But he's talking about his focus. I push them aside so that I may focus on what is before me, in front of me. Beloved, that is so crucial. It's so critical. That's what faith is all about. It doesn't look back and admire the good things that I've done. Our human natures need to be told this. Because our human natures like to point back and look back to what we have done. Our proud old man has a strange method of preaching the doctrines of grace, and I know it because I have it within myself, of preaching the doctrines of grace, of justification without works, and then ironically and shamefully to look back at, very, at the very works that I denounced to be part of my justification. And to include them in my heart. And we fall. We fall to that pride and self righteousness again. Wives focus on how they are more spiritually mature than their husbands and falter. Office bearers focus on how they are superior to the other members of the church and they falter. Young people think of themselves comparatively holier than other young people when they fall. We gaze upon our sanctification and use it for our self-justification. And Paul says, no, I forget that. Count it as loss. Dung. I press forward. Forgetting that which is behind. Behind. That which is behind not only the good works that I have done, but also the sins, the failures. Paul says, I push that out as well. No, again, it's not a holy amnesia of them. That would be an unholy amnesia to ignore The sins that we do have and insist when confronted by sin that I have no sin. Rather, Paul is saying, I repent of those sins. I turn from those sins to look to Jesus. But I don't wallow in those sins. I don't continue to despair in my sins. But I forget that which is behind. And the terrible guilt that used to plague me. And I press forward. Paul speaks of forgetting what is behind with regard to successes, with regard to the failures that bring guilt upon my conscience. But also, he speaks generally because there are so many other distractions that are behind us. We might focus upon other people's failures, especially when they sin against us. The bitterness that we want to cling to behind us hinders us in our race set before us. We might focus on the injustices that have gone on in the church of Jesus Christ and the past hurts that we feel we're unable to press on. We might focus upon the material things of this earth. Like Lot's wife. Distracted by the here and now and the Sodom and Gomorrah all around us, we stumble and we fall. We're petrified like a pillar of salt. Paul says, Forgetting that which is behind, I focus. I reach forth unto those things which are before, that is, in front, children, in front of me. What is in front? Well, it's the mark. It's the finish line. And especially, it's Jesus Christ. My faith, as I run, focuses upon the very person of Jesus Christ, who is at that finish line, calling me home. When verse 14 says, I press toward the mark, the mark is the finish line. It is the knowledge of Jesus Christ brought to its culmination in the end. It is where Paul will know Jesus and even Be known by Jesus as he was known by Jesus. Hebrews 12 verse 2 is a parallel to this passage which makes clear that Jesus is that mark at the finish line. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. On that inclined track, we look up to him who is on the mountain of holiness already. To him who has run the race before us and completed his course. And who is at the right hand of God, calling us home. You see, it is because of him. that we have confidence in this race. It is as we look to Him by faith and keep our eyes upon Jesus that we have confidence in the race that we run. That running, that running that we do, that exertion in the running we realize as we keep our eyes on Jesus that exertion cannot be for merit or to get us to glory. Using the same figure of running, Paul makes that clear in Romans nine sixteen. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. It's not of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Do we run? Yes. Do we expend effort? Yes. Does the running get us our salvation? No. Jesus does. Our text makes that clear in verse 12. I follow after or run. Is that I may apprehend or receive that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul says that as he runs, reaching for the end, Christ already has a hold of him. Our souls are anchored In Christ Jesus at the end of the race. He has already received me. He already embraces me. Nothing shall pluck me out of his hands. I run knowing with confidence that I will be brought to the end. Not because of my running, but because of his. And therefore I run with confidence. And the enemies of the gospel... And our own sinful natures then ask, then why run? Why press toward the mark with such exertion if I know I'm already going to get there? We know the motivation, the motivation of thanks and gratitude. But now negatively, negatively think. Think. You wouldn't run, beloved. I wouldn't run. And you wouldn't run if we didn't have the confidence that Jesus would take us to the end. You would despair. Remember the track, remember the incline. It's a long race. And we only have a small beginning. The holiest of men only have a small beginning. Take a runner to illustrate. And put him in a race that he knows he can't finish. He'll quit before you know it. He's done mentally as soon as he begins. If he has no confidence. It's also with us. If you and I knew that in any way getting to the finish line depended on me, upon you, we would despair. For we would know that our greatest exertion would only bring us downward to hell. But now Paul says, "I have been apprehended by Jesus Christ. My soul is anchored in the end, and with confidence that I will reach there, I am free. I am free from fear that I might not receive glory. I am free from the nervous apprehension that I will not be brought to the end, and so I run with joy. I run with vigor. I want run with gratitude. And that's how the child of God runs. That's how he can run with the exertion and vigor that he's called to run with. Paul ran, focused on the true Christ who had already earned the fullness of his salvation. And Paul could hear also that Savior at the end of the race calling him, calling him to run. The same Savior who is our confidence, who had run ahead and gained the finish line for us, says to us in His Word tonight, Press toward the mark. And the child of God doesn't respond. Since my Savior has already earned for me, gained for me the finish line, I'm not going to exert myself but rather the effect of the call to the believer is that he irresistibly, irresistibly is drawn and runs. We see that calling in the end of our text. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling or upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. That calling is the internal call that which is preached externally in the go- in the preaching as it is tonight the Holy Spirit takes and brings it internally to our hearts that calling is part of Christ's salvation inside of us by His Holy Spirit He calls us to believe Come unto me, he says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And today, today, he does that again. He does so. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has run the race for you, who has earned for you all your salvation, all your forgiveness, and your glorification in the end, who is at the finish line, who is the anchor to your soul. Believe in him. And the child of God hears that call internally. The very voice of Jesus Christ stirs him within his soul and effectually and irresistibly the result is he believes. And then moreover the call is this having believed the call comes to us from Jesus Christ. Now run. Looking with faith or by faith to me run. Exert yourself in a race of gratitude and thankfulness and joy in your salvation with the confidence that you will reach the end. Knowing the embrace of your husband, now seek to embrace him. And knowing the wonder of your salvation, work it out with fear and trembling. When the child of God hears that, call to run that too is an irresistible call to the heart of every regenerated child of God the people of God who are truly regenerated listen by faith and don't say in response I'm not sure I really want to I don't really understand the motivation in doing that. Or I'm suspicious of that call to activity. Sounds conditional. No. When the child of God hears that call, he runs. By the grace of God working within him. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Second Corinthians five verse fourteen. To close, Paul does not write as a super saint, as though he is the one who runs as an apostle while the rest of the members of the church admire him in his running. He speaks as as an example to the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 makes makes it clear. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded in verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me. Press toward the mark. The word brethren in our text indicates the same point. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark. Brethren is not merely an endearing term, but it points out that we are spiritual brothers of Paul, who with him have the Holy Spirit, and together as brothers press onward unto our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And one day, when we reach the end of our life, We will be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. But even then, when we get to heaven's gates, the child of God will not be looking behind. See all that he has done, tainted with sin. But he will enter heaven's gates also, looking to Jesus, and Jesus alone, who is the way, the entrance into glory, and the prize. For there we see him face to face. And we know him even as we are known. Amen. Let's pray. Father, strengthen us, our course to run. May thy word this day, though spoken in weakness, be used as a means to revive our souls unto that spiritual activity of pressing toward the mark. Bring us unto that glorious end that we might know Thee even as we are known. Preserve us so that we persevere. And all glory be unto thee and Jesus Christ thy Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reformed Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.